Hey, it's Jed Hearn, host of Wizards, Warriors, and Words. If you're enjoying the writing advice on this show, you might like my new podcast, The Jed Hearn Show, where every week I share the best fantasy writing advice that I've learned from publishing three fantasy novels and a best-selling video game. There's over 12 episodes that you can listen to right away, including my top 10 fantasy books of all time, how to make fantasy names that don't suck, two rules that make writing effortless, and my complete summaries of Brandon Sanderson's and Neil Gaiman's writing classes, and much more. Check it out by searching for The Jed Hearn Show in your podcast app. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Jed. We weren't able to record a regular episode this week, so instead I am reposting an interview I did with Rob J. Hayes on my Novel Analyst podcast, all the way back in May 2020. This was long before the Wizards, Warriors, and Words podcast started up, but in many ways, this interview with Rob made me want to talk with him on a more regular basis. So I suppose you could say it sowed the seeds of this show. Quick sidebar here, the Novel Analyst podcast is another show that I host, where I analyze my favorite books to extract useful writing lessons. There's over 50 episodes for you to listen to right now, and I will put a link to the Novel Analyst podcast in the show notes, or you can just search it up. That's the Novel Analyst podcast. In this interview, I talk with Rob about his War Eternal trilogy. Enjoy, and we'll be back with a regular episode next week. Hello and welcome to the Novel Analyst Podcast. My name is Jed Hearn, author of the fantasy books Across the Broken Stars and Fires of the Dead, and today I am joined by Rob J. Hayes. Rob is fantasy author of many books, including his latest release, the War Eternal series. Currently, two books from this series have come out. They are Along the Razor's Edge and The Lessons Never Learned and a third book is coming out very soon. So Rob, when we last talked, it was a couple of months ago. Um, the world was quite different back then, uh, <laughs> very different. Uh, but since then I have had the fortune of being able to read Along the Razor's Edge and The Lessons Never Learned before I'd only read Never Die. And I think it's very fascinating kind of reading a completely different series from the same author because you're sort of expecting I suppose a lot of the the same styles or tones to come across, but the War Eternal feels like very different to me in a good way. So I was wondering if you could talk me a little bit through your initial ideas for the series and what it is about um, to people who may not be familiar with it. Okay. Um, so yeah, the it's uh, it's it, it starts off with uh, the first book, which is very much about um, a. A young woman who is uh, she was taken as a, as a child and trained to be um, a weapon for her for her empire. She was she's a sorceress, a magic user in this world, um, 
and uh, because of, of, of that power, she had that, that ability to wield magic. She was taken and trained to be a weapon uh, in a war that her empire was fighting. Um, but where the book starts is at the end of the war. So literally that war has been fought and her, her empire, the empire she fought for, uh, lost. Um, and she is captured um, by the enemy, taken as a, war, uh, a prisoner of war, stripped of her magic and thrown in uh, an underground prison uh, where people are basically sent to be forgotten about, um, to, to mine out their, their lives in a pointless existence. And so she has to she has to learn to survive in, in this this hellish prison where she you know she doesn't have the the, the magic the power that she's learned to rely upon um, over her life and uh, and she has to sort of you know make some new allies and and, and yeah learn to survive and try to escape because um, she's she's quite an angry character. Um, <laughs> Due to everything that's that's uh, happened, everything that's befallen her in her life, um, and uh, she 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 wants revenge. A, a large driving force behind her character is she wants revenge on on everyone who put her where she is. Um, at least very much so in book one. Uh, so yeah, um, she's. I, I think. For inspiration-wise, I sort of I, I wanted I wanted to set a series that were or set a first book in a series at least that was completely underground because um, I felt that was a setting that is not used very much. I, I mean, at the time of writing it, I think I could name one book uh, that that featured an entirely underground setting, which is um, The Fade by Chris Wooding. Um, which is a very different type of book. It's not a prison. It's just it's an entire culture that has emerged to to to, uh, to exist underground. Um, and then after sort of writing the book, I found another one. There's uh, Faithless by uh, Graham Austin King, which is another book which is set entirely underground. But those those are still pretty much the only ones that I can name personally. So I wanted to I wanted to write a, a, a book that was just had this claustrophobic feel of of this 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 dark you know sort of gloomy mine where no nobody even remembered what the sun was like you know yes. it was that sort of thing um and then uh yeah as for sort of the the style of writing because it's 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 all told first person as a as an older character looking back at her life um uh, and it's 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 pretty much my first attempt to do anything first person, so hopefully it's I've done quite well. Um, but it, it's from reading uh, books like um, Mark Lawrence's uh, Prince of Thorns and uh, you know, Robin Hobbs' um, uh, Farsity Trilogy and uh, books like that. I just I wanted to give first person a go. I wanted to, hmm. to branch out into that sort of slightly different narrative style, basically. Um, because as I say, it's, it's something I've not done before and I like trying different things. That's definitely a, a theme that I see with all of your writing because you have, uh, is it over a dozen novels out at this stage? Oh yeah, I think I'm up to 14 now. <laughs> up to 14, <laughs> that's insane. And you have like such a big variety between those because you've got like sort of pirate stuff, you've got sort of Japanese inspired samurai stuff, and then you've got 
yeah, the war eternal, which is a completely different thing. I want to tie back to that thing you were mentioning about the magic system, because I love a good magic system. Um, and particularly hard magic where you can really dig your teeth into understanding how it works and it feels very realistic within the context of a fantasy world. And the magic of sorcery, I just love it so much because I think I remember reading a little blog post you did about talking how you were looking, correct me if I'm wrong with this, but my memory was that you were looking at the word sorcery and then you were thinking about putting a U in there so that they're drawing from a source. Is that correct? Or have I just remembered that? Yeah, um, I, I, I quite like hard magic systems as well. Uh, I like I like magic to have rules. Mm. Um, otherwise, it, it just, when it, when there's no rules, it, it becomes too powerful. And it, it, it sort of, and if anything can happen, then I, I feel it just removes tension from the situation. Yes. I always remember, uh, what was it, was it Feist's, uh, uh, series the, the one with pug i can't even yes. remember the name of it really but it, it kind of felt like the, the very ending to that series basically the main character just went we win <laughs> and that kind of bored me a little bit so yeah i, I like uh, magic systems um as for the sorcery I, I like the idea that the magic comes from something yes and um, you know it's, instead of sort of being inside a person all along it comes from um something um so i know it's it's not the first uh you know series to use the idea of magic has a source and it's from that source that the magic users are able to sort of draw it out um so it just sort of <laughs> and as the source is sort of you it just sort of seemed a natural thing it's like hmm, sorcery would be you <laughs> I'm that no one thought of it before um, so i think, I think that, that has been used before but oh really uh, <laughs> i haven't seen it so it felt original to me <laughs> but I, I don't think it's used very often because obviously sorcery is usually just about the video. I just thought, well, it comes from a source, sorcery. Makes sense. Have you had any readers? <laughs> have you had any readers tell you that you've got a typo in your book like a couple yeah. hundred times? No. Yeah. <laughs> Loads of people. Um, there's been people telling me that because uh, I think it's mentioned in the blurb. There's been people that like you. You spelt. You spelt. Uh, you got a typo in the blurb. You spelt sorcery wrong. I'm like, no, I haven't. <laughs> it's fine <laughs> like it's intentional i swear read the book and you'll find out yeah, i love the idea it. of magic with a cost though um and i think that's like a big credit to the system that you have in the book like it's not this thing where magic like you say it's not this thing where it just solves all the problems with a click of the fingers um i mean like can you imagine a beloved series being solved at the end by someone clicking fingers possibly while wearing a gauntlet would just be very unsatisfying, wouldn't it? But um, <laughs> <laughs> it has an emotional uh, appeal yeah. to, to the event. Yeah, it's kind of exactly. like, well, we'll just undo everything. Reset, yeah. yes. It's but a time I... travel to undo all the events yeah. that just happened. <laughs> Have you done time travel in any of your books, or would you consider it? No. I, I detest time travel. Um, don't get me wrong, some... some Times it's it's not done too badly. It's done quite well, you know. Uh, I've I've read um, two books of, of Mark Lawrence's Impossible Times trilogy, and I quite like what he does with with time travel. There, it's a slightly different approach to it. Um, and there's a couple of other things like I, I watched uh, the Flash TV show for a while, which was quite fun, just because you know watching Barry Allen try to time travel and just mess up the timelines was quite good. But for the most part, I just find time travel to be such a boring uh, sort of, um, I guess, Deus Ex Machina. It's just like that. That doesn't matter what happens. 
because the character can just go back in time and change it. Um, and it just sort of removes, again, it removes a lot of the tension for me when it's just like, oh, you see mm. a character dying, like, yeah, but they're just going to be brought back. It's, it's not an issue. They'll just rewind time. It's fine. Um, but it, yeah, it, it's not that it's that there aren't sort of good representations of it. It's just for the most part, I just like, yeah, I'm not even going to touch time travel. It's boring to me. Yeah, um, I very much fall in the same camp. I think unless it's like really tightly woven into the premise of the story, I'm generally not for it. But there is a form of time travel in The War Eternal because, as you mentioned, it's sort of the main character's future version looking back on their past and recounting what happens. And through that structure, you do have this sense of multiple timelines in a way of having the character describing what's happening, say, in the pit, and then flashing back even further from that point to when they were at a magical academy. How did you balance those flashbacks between? past and present because i think it can be such a difficult line to walk where you don't want the characters navel gazing for ages and you don't want the reader being more interested in the backstory than the actual story sometimes mm. so how do you strike that balance um it, it was actually it was really tough in uh in in the war tunnel especially in along the razor's edge because it is told it, it's technically told across three timelines or all timelines of the main character's life at once um because yeah she she flashes back to this time in the magic academy she's telling what i like to call the sort of like the current timeline which is her in the pit but in reality she's a lot older looking back at her life and she'll quite often drop hints about things that yes. are to come um so yeah sort of balancing all of that was was difficult especially with the the flashbacks but what i I didn't want to write a story about a magic academy. Um, I know they're incredibly popular, and I'm writing one at the moment, but we'll ignore that. Oh, uh, really? Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that's a whole other story about the uh, the third book in the Mortal Techniques uh, uh, trilogy. Anyway, uh, no, uh, it's not a trilogy. That's just an ongoing series. Um, but no, I didn't want to write this sort of um, magic academy, academy thing, but I thought it was felt it was quite important to get across... Her, her backstory, the main character's backstory, and how she had been, you know, t taken as a, as a child to be trained as a weapon, and to be taught magic. Uh, so, I sort of I, I made sure that when those flashbacks are told, she never that they're, they're never told in a sort of a current storyline. You always get that feeling that she is talking about a much distant past uh, point in her past. So there's no there's no dialogue in them or anything. It's more of a sort of recounting mm. um, of, of what happened. Um, and I made sure that every time she does give one of those flashback, it ties into the chapter that it's at the beginning of um, in some way, just to sort of like have that point of reference to anchor it all. Um, so, but I... As I say, it was it was very much an experimental novel for me. I sort of I, I had no idea what I was doing for most of the time writing it. The entire series, I had no idea what I was doing most of the time. Um, so hopefully, it turned out quite well. Yes, well, I'm eighty percent of the way through. I'm eighty percent of the way through book two at the moment, and I can definitely say it's working for me so far. So <laughs> fingers crossed that the ending gets nailed. Um, I didn't even notice that, but you you're so right. There is no dialogue in those like flash flashback scenes and I didn't even notice it because it's just it feels so seamless but you're right that is like such an easy way to distinguish it without doing anything annoying like 
yeah, having it in, I don't know, like a different font, which I know some authors do. But the flavor of having it in italics the entire way through, and I was just like, no, this doesn't work. I was going to say, yeah, because like, I know um, like Derek Landy in Scott Orin Pleasant, for instance, does that occasionally with his villain chapters. And then throughout the series, the italics stop and it like sort of blurs the line between hero and villain. And it's cool in that regard, but I find it hard to read personally. Um, so the series is coming out, it's three books and it's over three months. What made you decide to do this rapid release strategy, which I know a lot of reviewers and readers, myself included, are really thankful for, but I'm curious as to what your thought process was. Uh, this is entirely the fault of my fellow author, Ben Galley, uh, okay. who uh, <laughs> he wrote uh, the Chasing Graves um, trilogy and rapid released that last year. Um, and I was speaking to him at, at Worldcon um, last year in Dublin and uh, over a few pints, quite a few pints, uh, he, <laughs> he, he, was, he was telling me about it and how he felt that it, it was really, really quite useful in helping to push the book forward. There's sort of, there may be some Amazon algorithms in there that I'm not even going to try to understand, but uh, you know, we sort of, we live in a bit of a binge culture at the moment where people like to be able to, to sort of like, you know, experience everything uh, in, in one go, you know, TV series comes out on Netflix. It's the entire thing. People just watch it over a couple of days or whatever. Um, and I think there's sort of a, there's a, there's an idea that, that that's quite useful in books as well. If you're you know, releasing it, a, a trilogy over the course of three months or whatever, or, or all at the same time, I don't know how you want to do it, but, uh, it gives people that idea that, okay, they finished book one, they loved it, they'll go straight on to book two instead of having to, to wait for six months or a year or whatever. So um, it was literally just a way of, I already had the series written, so it wasn't like, you know, I was trying to write, <laughs> write really quickly to get the next book out. I, I, had it, I had the series written for about a year. So I was just sort of, okay, um, if this will help, hopefully help boost its, its signal, because in the growing, uh, you know, like publishing noise, uh, <laughs> there's just books coming out all over the place. So trying to boost the signal to be heard over it all is often quite difficult. So I just thought, if this if this might help, we'll give it a go. Um, and I've since learned that it is incredibly hard work and stressful as hell. Why is that? Can you dig into some specifics there? Yeah, well, so I decided to do this late last year with the idea that I'd be releasing, originally I was intending to release in February, March, and then April. Um, but at that point I had the books written, but that was it. There was no, there were no covers. Uh, they hadn't been, they hadn't been seen by a proper editor yet. There was, uh, you know, there, there was basically everything but the writing of them still to do. So I basically gave myself about five months to try and get three books ready to launch. Uh, which turned out to be impossible. So I decided to push them back a, a month and gave myself six months, which turned out to just be exhausting instead of impossible. <laughs> so it was, you know, in that time, I must have edited myself the, 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 the entire trilogy at least three times. Um, and then obviously it saw uh, my editor, Sarah Chorn, uh who, you know, she then edited it and then I went through it again. And then there was getting the covers ready and then getting everything else in place. Oh, it's just exhausting. Getting one book can be quite tiring. Getting one book ready to publish, but getting three ready to go in quick succession is just 
it's, it's, it's absolutely knackering. I know people who do it throughout the year, they're just releasing one book a month, every month throughout the year. It's crazy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how they do it. <laughs> Me neither. That is, yeah, I have so much respect for them. And yeah, obviously it, it pays off and it's incredible if you can achieve it. Um, what I find particularly interesting about The War Eternal is that our main character, Ascara, is not a particularly nice person. And for a lot of book one, I, I, we've mentioned this before when we were talking, um, I didn't find her particularly easy to connect with as a character in the first half of book one. But something for me flipped at the exact moment that she bonded with Siracus, um in the cage, which is about halfway through the book. Um, I hope it's not too much of a spoiler to say it's basically this demon creature that sort of bonds with her, hoping that she will take him back to this sort of other realm that he lives in. I didn't interrupt you right there. It's not yes. a him. Oh, isn't it a him? Interesting. Uh, no, Trachet is never referred to by any gender. Oh, okay. Well, thanks for correcting me. I guess that's just <laughs> inherent bias on my part. So I appreciate, yeah, you're right. Hmm. That is interesting. But yeah, so anyway, I find that some... Oh, sorry, Trachet is never referred to by gender, uh, which is a personal choice that I did on purpose. So anyway, that, cool. that was it. That's just the... Sorry, yeah, no, that's, I appreciate you pointing that out. Um, yeah, I guess that is such a, a thing where you just sort of assume that people are yeah, behaving a certain way and therefore it means things about their character. But yeah, it's, it's not. So for me, I found from that moment onwards, um, it was just so much, for some reason, I just connected with the main character in that moment. And from that point on to yeah, where I am at 80% of the way through book two, I just find them such an engaging and interesting main character and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how do you make readers like someone who is sort of an anti-hero in a way? Well I mean it's a tough one with Ascara. I know I know that <laughs> I've, I've had readers who just say she is not a likable character at all she is compelling but not a likable character um, which I, I entirely understand she's she was never really designed to be a specifically likable character um, the series is very much um, about her learning to human, um, <laughs> because of uh, of how she was she was raised uh, and everything she sort of like went through and her time in the pit, which is this sort of brutal prison, which isn't you know if she was a very nice character, she probably wouldn't survive it quite as well. Um, she has to learn to sort of you know manipulate others in order to survive down there. So it, yeah, the series is is very much about her learning to. Um, human um, to, to 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 be a bit more compassionate and to you know, sort of like think about others. Um, but I think a, a large portion to sort of making a character who may not be intrinsically likable likable will be um, showing their vulnerability, um, making them even if they may not be likable, they are still, you know, human. So showing across that sort of human side, that vulnerable side. And I think the, the scene with, um, with Syracuse in, in book one very much uh, does that. And until then, she, okay, she's, she seemed vulnerable on a physical level. Um, you know, she's, she's a young girl in a prison who, you know, regularly experiences beatings and, and all that other stuff. But with uh, when she when she meets Syracuse, it's it's a vulnerability that goes beyond the physical. Um, she is you know she is truly scared, uh, 
and and is helpless. She has no no power at that point. She is completely at this thing's mercy. Um, so I think a, a lot of it is to do with showing the vulnerable side of a character as well as their their powerful side, as it were. Yeah, I think that that definitely works off really well. And you reminded me of something else there as well, which is trust. So when I was reading this book, probably the first moment of awesome I had, to put it sort of crudely, was when the characters started playing this this dice game that you've invented for the story world. Um, and I love board games in fiction. I put them in my own novels. You know, you've got like Tack from The Name of the Wind, for instance, like features big in that. And I don't know what it is. I just find them like very compelling and it makes the world feel very realistic. And also I just sort of want to play them and, you know, feel like I'm in that world. So can you talk me through a little bit about, first of all, like what trust is to people who maybe aren't familiar with it. And yeah, just, just talk me through what your thoughts are on putting board games into fictional worlds and whether that's just like a way to add a little bit of detail or if it is about like something, trying to say something more about the story. All right. Well, uh, I, I'm I'm a big fan of board games in general, board games, board games, all of that lot. I'm, I, I love them, massive geek. Um, and uh, so I, I, when I created Trust, which is this, it's this dice game that uh, that the, the the characters play in in the pit. Um, and the, the essential thing is you get uh, three dice, and they have a number of different sides. They're not like you know numbered one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, there's there's a side of friendship that picks friendship, and there's a side that picks uh, that picks betrayal, and then uh, there's there's also four other sides. Uh, so when it comes to your turn, you pick another player, uh, and you challenge them, and then you you know secretly decide on either trust or betrayal, and they uh, they pick uh, the same, so they decide as well, and then you reveal the dice, and if uh, both if if both people pick uh, friendship trust. Uh, they they both keep their dice. If both pick betrayal, they both lose their dice. I think it is uh, yes. Uh, if one picks betrayal and one picks friendship, uh, the one who picks betrayal takes both dice. And then there's a whole rolling mechanic as well. I'll not go into the, all of the detail. <laughs> um, it it was based on uh, what is it? It's it's uh, it's called Liar's Dice. I think it is. Okay. Is this? Um, I think it actually fe- that that particular thing features in one of the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Um, oh, really? huh. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it's called Liar's Dice in that, but it's it's all about you sort of you roll your dice in a cup and then you sort of like look at them and then you you bid what you have. So you're like, I've got you know two twos, and then the next person around will look at theirs and be like, I've got three sixes. It goes on and that, and it, it it all comes down to when somebody somebody says you're a liar. And then the dice are revealed, and then uh, if, if it is a lie, uh, then I think they take a dice off them. And if it isn't a lie, then uh, I can't remember exactly. Uh, the rules, sort of the actual rules, escape me a little bit. But yeah, it, it's sort of based on that, where it's this this game where you're trying to figure out, you know, how the other person's playing, uh, their sort of psychological um, sense, whether they're lying or telling the truth, or whether they're trustworthy or not. Um, so that's that's where that sort of came from, and I just sort of I wanted I wanted to create because I I like the idea of, of games in in these fictional worlds, and I've used things like chess before or um, Go, um, 
which you know sort of like they're they're established real games but i thought hey, i'm going to create my own little game for it uh just because yeah it helps bring a sort of sense of realism to the world i suppose um that these people aren't just creating recreating our own games that we have in the real world but, you know creating their own ones which they probably would in a fictional world absolutely and especially i think what makes trust really great for me is first of all i just love all your like bluffing social deduction games werewolf mafia or you know all those things i love them and second of all it's such a thematically relevant game for what that story is about because themes of betrayal and like who is telling the truth and who is lying and and can you like put your faith in other people that is such a big part of not just book one but really um eska's arc as a character and even in book two you're still getting references back to yeah sort of it might not be specifically trust but just sort of this idea of yeah like games where you have to put faith in other people and i guess yeah what made it really stand out for me is that thematic relevance and what i want to ask is do you kind of for me when i'm like writing a story a lot of my early parts of the process are about finding what the theme is what i'm sort of trying to say um, so that then I have that as like a filter to guide my decisions in other aspects of my story or building my world. Do you think about theme in that way? Do you think about it in terms of once you sort of know what your story is about, then you try to put in other details or, you know, character arcs or, or side plots or whatever that sort of feed back to that? Or is your process more sort of organic? Um, it's kind of a, a, a mixture of two of them. I'm, I'm very much a, a, you know, a gardener, a pantser. I, you know, I don't tend to plot everything out or anything like that. Um, but I think that having a, a theme that you're writing to is quite an important step in the process. Um, that doesn't mean you have to have it from the beginning. I quite often, I, you know, I'm sort of like halfway through a book before I'm like, that's what I'm trying to say. That's yes. what this book is about. Um, which is part of that's why editing is is quite good. You know, you can then go back and be like, I can now add little bits that tie into it here and there. Um, so yeah, it's. It, but I definitely feel that at some point you need to have an idea of what you're trying to say, what the book is trying to be about. Um, I mean, it's all fine and well you can have sort of popcorn books which aren't really about anything; they're just about fun. Um, but then if, if you want your book to have a sort of slightly deeper meaning, yeah, you need to have an idea of what it's going to be about so you can tie um, all the separate threads together. Um, and that was definitely something that I actually had in mind going into, into writing along the race edge. Um, there are a number of themes that I you know, touch upon uh, quite heavily. Um, trust and betrayal definitely being one of them. Um, you know, suicide being another one. Um, so th those are sort of themes that I wanted to to write into the the sort of the weave the the narrative uh, of it, um, so that they they were there at all levels basically. That makes a lot of sense, and yeah, you definitely see a, yeah, like I said, a strong thematic unity to the different books. Um, the setting in these books so far has been really great as a reader because. As you said, book one is very claustrophobic. It's all set in this underground prison. And then in book two, you open up into this sort of wider fantasy world and you have the characters going on at Floating City, which is just awesome. I love it. Um, what do you look for or think about as you're developing your worlds for your stories? 
Um, I, ah, it depends on the world uh, very much so, but in, in, this, in this particular one, I wanted there to be mystery at the core of it. Um, funnily enough, this is something I learned from uh, reading books by uh, Brandon Sanderson and the like. Love who, that guy. <laughs> um, I, 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 I always held off right, uh, reading a lot of his books because they were just like, oh, he's so popular, I'm not going to like him, but I read him. He was like, actually, he's pretty damn good. Um, <laughs> but him, his worlds tend to have a mystery um, or multiple mysteries at the core of them. Um, and every time you sort of like you, as a reader, you sort of learn this mystery, you solve this mystery. Uh, there's, there's another mystery to be unsolved. It's sort of, in many ways, it's the, the, the JJ Abrahams uh, style of thing for it's like, what's in the box? And you spend this entire time going, what's in the box? What's in the box? And then you open the box and you're like, it's another box. <laughs> um, Boxception. <laughs> it's kind of like that, but a little more. Uh, um, you know, you actually get to learn the the, idea, the the mysteries. You get to peel them apart piece by piece, which is quite good. And so I think that Brandon Sanderson does it a lot better than JJ Abrahams ever did. But there we go. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I, <laughs> when building this world, I very much wanted there to be mysteries at the core of it that would be solved as the the, the character uh, as, as Eska sort of traversed through the world. Um, and then at the same time, I wanted it to very much branch out after book one to be this much wider world that the reader would explore at the same time as Eska. Um, so you, you hear hints of it in book one, but she's never actually been there. She's only experienced this very small uh, microcosm of the world and then she gets out into the actual world and I mean yeah book two is mostly set on a flying city uh, or two flying cities um, <laughs> so it, it, it expands the world and you get to as the reader you get to experience it at the same time as Esker and I hope that sort of like translates some of the wonder at seeing these these things this this floating city this wider world these different different races different peoples um, and, and cultures along the way, and the gods. <laughs> yeah. Although, are they really gods? Only time well, will tell. Yeah, that's one of the mysteries at the core that's of, one the, of the isn't mysteries. It? I have to read book three when it comes out. Um, on a on a slightly more, I suppose, serious note. Um, although hopefully we can turn this into a positive. You've mentioned on your blog that while writing book two of the War Eternal, um, that is the lessons never learned you somewhat struggled with the process. And I was wondering if you could just describe what that experience was, was like and how you got through it. Because I think as authors, it's so easy for us to just see the finished product and be like, oh, this author's perfect. They're genius. They're you know amazing. Um, and I'm not saying that's not true, but I think it's so helpful for writers, especially aspiring writers, to see how other authors have doubts and how they overcome that. Um, because that's so much more useful than just pretending that authors are like these perfect people. So could you talk through that, please? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously you'll be able to find a lot more information on my blog. Just going to pimp that. Uh, I will link that in the show notes. But yeah, basically, um, I, it, it was hellish because uh, I personally was not in a very good place when I was writing book two. Um, I just split with my publisher at the time um, as an independent publisher, but uh, and um, I was, you know, I didn't have the rights to my books at that time, so I had nothing on sale. I wasn't earning any money. They hadn't paid me for a good year or any any of my royalties. And I, I, I 
felt like my career had just sort of dead-ended, had stalled. You know? um, so I wasn't in a very good place. And when I went into writing book two, I went in with the same mindset of writing book one, which was, uh, I'm going to explore the world at the same time as writing it, and we'll see what happens. Um, which is fine when you're in a sort of a more positive place, um, and you're sort of like, ah, I'm excited to 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 experience it all, to go on the journey with the main character and everything. But when you're in a bad place, that tends to come through in the in the writing. So when I was writing book two, and I was just trying to go along with the flow, and you know I was feeling in this very sort of stalled uh, time of my life. That's where the main character, sort of, you know, where Eska ended up being this sort of stalled part where she wasn't really doing anything and just being dragged along through the world by her you know, bootstraps and uh, wasn't enjoying it at all. Um, so it, it and it really came across and it was very negative and i hated it um i you know it was one of the worst times of my life i struggled to write it when i did finally get this first draft finished i sent i'd hated it i sent it to my alpha readers and they all came back and went eh, it sucks um <laughs> which i agreed with so i just sort of i put it on the back burner i was all ready to just quit the series right there and then um and then i uh i wrote never die I had this idea in my head for this, this fun story. My career started taking off a bit more. I, you know, I was in the Spiffbo finals at that point with Where Loyalty's Line. And um, after writing Never Die, I sort of I picked it up again and had a look at it again. And I realised that, that it sort of clicked on me. It's like the reason it sucked is because I was in such a bad place and it just translated into the writing. So uh, I decided to try and fix it. So I just scrapped the entire book two that I had written, which was. Um, 120,000 words or something like that and just started again but I started with a much better plan of where I wanted to go with it I, I didn't plot the entire thing out but I had a lot more idea of where I wanted to take it along with, with both the themes and the the settings and the things that Esker would uh, endure and explore um, so I went into it with a much more positive mindset um, <laughs> And a better idea of where I was going, and uh, yeah, I, I think it turned out into a much, much better book. <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't get that sense of stagnation to it. The plot moves really fast. Um, I personally think that it's yeah much tighter plotted and much faster paced than than book one, which sort of makes sense because book one is all about stagnation within her life and and being trapped, whereas book two is like freedom, flying places, adventure. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, it comes across really great. So I definitely think you've, you've turned that around a lot. Um, if you had to spend self-isolation with one of your characters, who would you pick? Of any of the books? Uh, we'll go any of the books and then we'll go War Eternal. So any of the books first. Oh, any of my books. I'd probably, uh, I don't know, I'd maybe say Anders from my uh, First Earth um, uh, saga, which is... Uh, Ties that binds, um, best laid plans, and City of Kings, because uh, he's a bit of a, he's sort of a, a, a disgraced nobleman who, um, he's an alcoholic. He just spends his entire time drunk and <laughs> witty and sardonic and an absolute arsehole. It'd probably be quite fun to to spend at least a few days with. He might get annoying after a while, but at least there'd be booze. 
Um, Fair enough. <laughs> at least they're pipus and good jokes, hopefully. The perfect exactly. isolation the, companion. Uh, the war eternal, spending time with uh, one character. Um, I, I don't think it would be Eska. Uh, as much as I love her, she's, she's very intense. Yeah, that would be <laughs> difficult. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what the, the first story is, right? They're all in, in isolation in a prison underground and they can't leave. So sort of a good exactly. metaphor for our times. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe tomorrow. Um, mm. Trying to, to, to figure out the riddles that he speaks in might be quite fun for him. Um, and, uh, you know, he's always happy and jovial, even, even when the world's falling to hell around him and they're in a really tough situation. He'll always giggle at it. Yeah. <laughs> always the optimist yeah he'll probably be like i survived much worse events when i was young yeah i definitely think tomorrow would be my choice as well i thought you were going to say that so very happy <laughs> um speaking of the first earth saga would you ever consider returning to that world uh yeah i'm going to at some point so it's only half done um there are six books out for it and there's going to be another six books there's going to be two more trilogies have this whole big overarching uh, storyline which is playing out in bits and pieces throughout the, the different sort of um, different series within in the world um, so one day I do intend to I actually started writing the first book in the new trilogy uh, back in 2016 uh, oh, wow. and then it popped into my head with her story so I wrote that instead um, but one day I am going to return to First Earth and finish this, this 12 book saga. Um, when that will be, I don't know. I've got plenty of other ideas and things that are going through my head at the moment, which need writing. Um, but one day I, I definitely will. All right. Well, Miha is going to be very happy. That was one of the fan questions that I posted in the... He me uh, occasionally, just sort of messaged to me and goes, uh, is the next <laughs> one coming out? Like, I don't know, I haven't written it yet. <laughs> Yeah, nice. <laughs> You'll be like, I would love for it to be out as well. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what, give, give me three more of me in an extra couple of years and maybe we'll get into <laughs> writing it. Do you reckon you would like having clones of yourself? I think I personally... I hate myself. You would hate it? Okay. I must be a narcissist because yeah. I, would, I would personally like that, but maybe that's just because I'm an only child, so I would see it as my opportunity yeah, to have problems. I'd, I'd, I'd drive myself insane. I mean, I drive myself insane just on my own, you know. It's like there's, there's plenty of times I'm just like, oh, get out of my own head. Uh, so having another couple of me around being assholes would just be really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> More books though, so that'd be handy. Um, <laughs> what is the first book, if any, that made you cry? Uh, yeah, that would be the second book in Robin Hobbs. Uh, ooh, it's, what's the name of the series? It's not the first one. It's not fast here. Uh, is it the... Golden Fool? No, that's the name. The Um The second book in that trilogy. I won't point out the scene, but anybody who's read them already knows what it is. Great. <laughs> I haven't read it, but what, like speaking vaguely about that scene, what were the reasons why it provoked like an emotional reaction for you? Um, there's a, a very... Uh, there's a, there's a character who dies, and it's a character who you form uh, throughout the books. You formed a very emotional attachment to, um, and uh, yeah, when they died, it was just like that was. I cried. I put the book down. Whoa! Uh, it took a few days. <laughs> it's uh, it's emotional, and it and 
Robin Hobb knows how to make it hit and it hits hard. Right. Um, okay. And it was, yeah, it's a devastating, a devastating scene. Um, even though you know it's coming, you know it's coming, but when it hits, it still just destroys you. Do you think partly the knowing that it comes makes it even worse in a way? Because you sort of have... Maybe. Because you're hoping it's not going to. You know yeah. it's coming. But there's always that bit in your mind that's just like, no, 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 stop it. Find a, find a way around it. Stop it from happening. Yeah. <laughs> you know it's going to happen. So when it does finally happen and that's it, it's, it's taken away that sort of framework in your mind of just like, no, they'll find a way around it. They don't. And it hurts. Excellent. Have you reread that book by any chance? Uh, no, I've actually been meaning to reread uh, the whole of Robin Hobb's uh, Realm of the Elderlings uh, saga. Um, but it's fine at the time. They're, they're big books. Uh, there's a lot of them. And I have, there's so many other books. Like a TBR shelf is huge. So it's, it's fine at the time, but I do. I, I want to get around to re rereading those and also rereading uh, Chris Wooding's uh, Tales of the Ketty J um, books because I absolutely love them. But yeah, one day I'm going to find time to actually get around to it. How do you hopefully decide what book to read next? Yeah, hopefully it's still good, yeah. I, I pretty much, when I finish a book, if it's part of a series and I really like it, I'll pick up the next book in the series and read that straight away. Um, if not, I will go and stare at my bookshelf and spend a while just sort of like staring at the different books going and then I will just go that one I've been meaning to read that one for a while uh, which is exactly how I picked uh, Jade City which is the book I'm reading at the moment and it's just like it's been on my shelf for a while a lot of people have recommended it to me and you know I've just finished Poppy War so I'm on this sort of Asian fantasy role at the moment so I thought you know what that one makes yes. sense speaking uh, of I don't plan out what I'm going to read like in advance. I'm, I'm literally just like, ooh, what do I fancy? I've yeah. got a large enough TBR shelf. Well, actually, it's two shelves at this point that I can, you know, spend a while choosing. And there's, there's so many different options. There are a lot of books out there, and even more so these days. So, yeah, it is definitely difficult to decide. Um, speaking of Asian fantasy, you mentioned recently that you are working on a sequel to Never Die, which is one of my favorite books that I've read so far this year. Could you talk me through a little bit about perhaps what it's going to be about, if you can, without giving spoilers, yeah. and yeah, just like what you plan for that series as a whole? Um, so the series itself is going to be a collection of standalone stories set in this world that I've created. Um, it was never intended to be that way. I just, I, I wrote Never Die as this complete standalone, but then um, people kept saying they wanted more. Uh, and when enough people say they want more, you kind of like, all right then. <laughs> um, and luckily I had this sort of like this other idea pinging around my head um, for, for one of the characters. Uh, so I thought, you know what, I'll write that story. Um, so the, the second book, uh, which is written and is with um, early readers at the moment, um, which is good because they're all coming back so far saying it's brilliant, we love it. Nice. Uh, it's, it's called Porn's Gambit. Um, and it's, it focuses around a, a character from the first book, uh, one of the sort of secondary characters in the first book, who was the, called The Art of War. Um, she was a, a strategist in, in the first book, uh, and um, sort of based a little bit on, uh, I'm going to kill the pronunciation here, Zhuj Liang? Zhuj Liang? Uh, 
uh, anyway, uh, he's a character. The military from strategy book, book right? Hmm? Is that the guy who wrote the military strategy book, The Art of War? No, that's Sun Tzu. Uh, Sun Tzu. Oh, okay. He's yeah, he's the uh, the real world uh, sort of war philosopher who wrote uh, the Art of War, Got um, which obviously the character is named after. Uh, again, killing the pronunciation, Zhu Zhang, uh, is a character from the Romance of the Three Kingdoms um, uh, Chinese epic, um, uh, which is a sort of fantasy uh, story um, and. Yeah, uh, in fact, the Romance of the Three Kingdoms is a very big uh, influence on the world of Never Die. I love this idea of sort of like these heroic warriors who are worth a thousand normal soldiers on a battlefield and all that. Um, so yeah, I, th this sort of like Art of War character was loosely based on on, on him. Um, and then I sort of, I had this idea to write a, a story um, about her. Um, and uh, it it's... In many ways, it, it apes the, the the journey of of Never Die. So there will be there will be gods, there will be a journey, um, and, and and lots of things. But at the same time, it's a very different beast. Uh, but it's it's basically about a um, this this strategist uh, character who has retired uh, and is pulled back into service by a um, capricious god. The god yeah. of missed opportunities, and they go on a bit of a journey together. Nice. Um, that's about all I'm all I'm going to say for it at the moment. But uh, yeah, it's coming in January of 2021. Great, I'm looking forward to that. Have you read? Um, this is a totally random question, but have you read the Book of Five Rings by any chance? No. Ah, oh, okay. I think you'd really enjoy it because it's it's sort of picking up on a lot of these. It was a it's a real world memoir written by a 16th century samurai who was undefeated in like 60 duels started wow. fighting when he was 12 and this is his book about like how to win sword fights and also life um <laughs> and it reminded me a lot of of never die in a way so yeah that's it's that might be something worthwhile to look out for that um for the book of five rings what's that the book that's of five rings yes it's really called legend of the five rings which is sort of set in a oh. uh, sort of Asian setting. so i wonder if there's sort of a connection between those possibly i have heard it is an inspiration for avatar although i haven't seen avatar which i understand is a travesty so i will correct that i know cool. i haven't it's read amazing. the lord of the rings books either so yeah films are great um couple of quick rapid fire questions before we start to wrap up uh this is a, another question from her uh will you be writing in any other genre apart from fantasy after your experiment with drawings which was a science fiction thrill um yeah that's my my science fiction noir cyberpunk thing um about emotional uh emotional harvesting um so that was a weird one um that was actually the first book i wrote in first person um, oh, I also wrote in Things, which was just an absolute mind melt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will probably write another sci-fi story at some point. I have a few ideas for some other sci-fi stories uh, rolling around my head. Uh, they, they probably won't be another noir sort of style one. Um, I, I have this habit. Whenever I think of a sci-fi story, my mind automatically goes to cyberpunk for some reason. Um, <laughs> because you know, growing up in the eighties and cyberpunk was like the thing. Um, but, but I have a couple of ideas for sort of a space opera type thing as well. So 
I think I'll probably write in sci-fi again uh, one day. Um, but other than that, it's pretty much, I, I've got plenty of ideas for sort of fantasy, epic fantasy type stories. So different styles within those, like, you know, obviously there's the Asian sort of flavoured uh, ones. Um, or sometimes I've got, you know, a steampunk type one. So there might be sort of variations within the genre, but I'll probably stick to fantasy for the most part. Makes sense. That was not a rapid fire answer to a rapid fire question. <laughs> Every time I do rapid fire with an author, it always becomes long, but I don't mind because like normally the answers are quite good. So that's fine on me. Um, do you have a, a vivid early memory that showed you the power of stories? And if so, could you describe what that felt like to me? Um, I don't know. I, to be honest, I'm not very good at remembering. I have this really hazy thing about uh, about my memories sort of, of childhood where I remember the uh, events around them, but I don't particularly remember the, the don't I have a memory that I can sort of access and go, aha, that, this happened. So I know the reading, um, uh, Robin Jarvis, Robin Jarvis, Robin Jarvis. Anyway, the Dark Portal uh, books, uh, well, the Depth of Mice books, I think it's Robin Jarvis. Um, and the first one was the Dark Portal. I remember reading those books and I think it was in the, the second or third book in the series where my favorite character, they're mice, by the way. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That is a random yeah. detail. Yeah, it, it's it's a book. It's a fantasy book about mice, and the the villain's a cat. It works. Um, but yeah, uh, my favorite my favorite character uh, in that died. Um, and again, it was another powerful moment. And I think that's that's one that sort of really stuck out to me as as an act of storytelling that has stayed with me over the years. Um, you know, I don't remember a lot about the the books because I was about seven years old when I read them, or whatever, seven eight years mm. old. Um, but I remember that moment reading that because it hit me hard um so i think that that's probably the one that stands out most Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> memories are a really strange thing oh yeah it's kind of freaky to think about yeah like when you're a completely different person when you form exactly. that memory and now you're like yeah it's it's just it's a weird thing should write a book about it sometime um, oh wait, Drones <laughs> has memories and emotional harvesting in it. Uh, <laughs> do it you read your book reviews? And if so, how do you deal with bad or good book reviews? Um, I foolishly do. I probably shouldn't. Um, <laughs> but I mean, sometimes they can be helpful. You know, if you're reading, uh, if you're reading book reviews and there's a lot of criticism about a certain area, um, then you can generally go, okay, maybe that's a legitimate sort of uh, thing instead of just one person's opinion. Um, so I do read them. I tend to read the more positive ones because we authors are egocentric. Um, no, I, I don't know. It's, it's one of those <laughs> good review can sort of make you feel like you're uh, less of an imposter, whereas a bad review will just crush you. Um, so I sort of, I try to look at them with an objective air where I, I try to consider the things that the reviewer is saying, you know, to see whether or not it's, it's a legitimate cause for something that I need to change um, in, in future works or whatever. Um, in fact, case in point, uh, there were quite a lot of reviews about Along the Razor's Edge that said there was too much swearing in it. So 
I have literally gone back through it uh, this last week and removed a bunch of swear words because really? I read through it. I agree. There is a lot of swearing <laughs> in this book. Uh, so I, actually, I went back and it's something I, I promised I'd never do, but I went back and took a wreck on my wow. it and uh, took away a bunch of swear words because it was a bit sweary. But that's due to actually a different edit where I went through the entire book and went, hmm, there's no swearing in this. I was going to make it a bit too YA. I know, I'm going to add some swearing into the book. So I, I, this was before publication. I went through and I added loads of swearing into it and I maybe went a little bit overboard. Sure, I love the idea of a dedicated editing cast just for swearing. I, I will agree. I do think that particularly in the first half of that, it feels like it's used as punctuation a little bit. But um, second half, I think the balance is great and book two, the balance is great as well. So that's definitely a positive well, sign. Uh, it's, it's not used as punctuation anymore. <laughs> it's fine. Don't worry. Ignore Excellent. That um, but yeah, I, I feel that um, <laughs> with bad reviews, actually time uh helps you distance yourself from them i can read a bad review of never die now and then just laugh about it but if i read a bad review of along the race's edge at the moment i'm kind of like oh they hate my book <laughs> yeah it's definitely such a subjective and difficult thing that until you're in that moment you don't really know how you're going to react um exactly but distance helps you sort of or well, time helps you distance yourself from from it so that's it <laughs> yes uh Another question, I have no idea if this will go anywhere, but I'm curious. Do you hide any secrets or Easter eggs in your books that only a couple of people will find or perhaps adjust in there for yourself? Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm a big one for hiding homages uh, in my books, to be honest. Um, little things that are, they, they might be a, a, a small snippet of a line from, from something which has inspired me or or a name of something. Um, you know, there's, there's things like uh, in, in my first Earth series, I think one of the books, I can't remember which one, there is a tavern called The Golden Fool, which is a direct um, homage to Robin Hobb. Um, it's just, it's one of those things that has inspired me. Um, I think one of the, the first lines in, in the first book, The Heresy Within, is by fire be purged, which is, <laughs> reference to World of Warcraft, which I spent many, many <laughs> years playing. Um, so yeah, I, I love hiding little homages throughout it uh, to, to the things that have been inspired me from all my books. But then there'll also just be sort of little, um, I, I like hiding things like, like in Never Die, there's, there's, there's a bunch of little things which are hidden that just seem normal when you first read through them. When, you read back through after knowing the ending, do they actually make sense into the, the sort of the, the larger narrative? So I like doing things like that, things that only make sense when you've, once you've already read the book and know how it turns out. And that kind of gives you a reason to reread it a second or third time as well, because it becomes a different story as well. Um, so to wrap up this interview, I have really enjoyed this. Um, I have, my curiosity for your other books has been even more, uh, hiked than it already was um <laughs> so what do you uh well we've discussed what you've been working on can you tell us a little bit about book three the final book in the war eternal trilogy and when that's going to be out and what it is about okay so uh book three is releasing on may 26th which is also my birthday oh happy birthday um 
which uh, wasn't really planned. I, I was intending to release it on the 25th, which would have been the last Monday of the month, but apparently that's a bank holiday in England. So I was just like, nah, that's not happening. So I released it on the 26th. Well, I'm releasing on the 26th instead. Um, and uh, it's it, it's the, the sort of the, the combination of the trilogy. Um, uh, it's, well, I'm trying to do it without any sort of spoilers or anything, but. Good um, high. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very much the the last uh, uh, portion of Eska growing up. So, you know, book one is very much her as a teenager. Book two is maybe not in actual age, but it's themed around the idea that she's she's grown up into sort of in her twenties. And then, you know, she's you know, book one, she doesn't know who she is. Book two, she's trying to figure out who she is. And book three, she knows who she is. And this is her finally deciding to try and get her vengeance on everyone. Excellent. It's it's probably the most emotional of the three books, um, which is in a series that is quite emotional. Is, is hopefully saying something. Um, yeah, yeah, first two books have been uh, roller coasters. So yeah, uh, shit goes down. <laughs> I'm excited. All right. Well, I think this is a good place to wrap up our chat. Uh, Rob, can you tell us where people can find you? Okay. Uh, yeah, you can find me on my. Uh, webpage which is www.robjhayes.co.uk or you can find me on facebook at the heresy within or you can find me on twitter uh, at rob of the haze um i think that's pretty much that's pretty much it for my social media type stuff excellent i'll put links to all of those and everything else we've discussed in the show notes as well uh rob thanks so much for coming on i really enjoyed this chat thanks for having me again it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun <laughs> you're welcome Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Novel Analyst Podcast. In this episode, I mentioned that I was about 80% of the way through The Lessons Never Learned by Rob Hayes. I've since finished that book and holy cow, it was fantastic. If you want to read my full review for the book, I have just become a reviewer for BookNest, which is one of the largest fantasy book review sites. I was going to say in the world, that sort of sounds a bit weird to say it, but I guess it's true. There's not many fantasy book review sites on Pluto, for instance. Um, so from now on, I'm going to be posting very detailed, in-depth reviews on booknest.com, uh, sorry, booknest.eu, for every new book that I read, as long as it's a book that I think is worthy of reviewing. If it's horrendous and I didn't finish it, I probably won't post a review on there. So if you want to stay updated with my reviews on Booknest, um, you can go to bit.ly forward slash jedreviews, all one word. I'll also have the link to that in the show notes. So that'll give you the link to my page on BookNest, which will have all of my current and future reviews once I get around to writing them. I've currently got reviews on there for Master of Sorrows by Justin Travis Call, Good Omens by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, The Lessons Never Learned by Rob J. Hayes, Guards, Guards by Terry Pratchett, and Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. Um, they've already got, I think, well over a thousand views between them all, which is pretty exciting, and it's nice to have the exposure of BookNest, and it's been really cool to connect with the other reviewers and authors on there. So if you want to check out my reviews, and you'll probably pick up some interesting writing advice lessons from those reviews as well, go to my BookNest page. Once again, that's bit.ly forward slash jedreviews, and the link to that will be in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. Now go and write extraordinary stories. I'll see you next time. 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.